Hi everyone. Today we have a special treat. We have up and coming superstar Cristina Vlaho. Hello. Kalimera. Kalimera. Cristina <laughs> is from Greece. That's about the only word in Greek that, that I can speak. So Cristina is expert in networking. Um, and you've been there for some time. So yes. can you tell us how it changed in the recent times? Mm -hmm. uh, so when I started my undergrad, uh, I was working on sensor networks, on delay not tolerant networks, networks that are resource constrained, for example, limited buffer, limited battery, uh, limited connectivity. Uh, and this trend uh, um, became less popular throughout the years uh, until now. So we are back let's say into sensor networks, but now we call them Internet of Things. We have to connect uh, many things, devices. We expect that we will connect about seven devices per person, which mm -hmm. would mean that we would have more devices than people. So it was quite surprising to see the trend coming back uh, and seeing actually the research done 15, 20 years back uh, being applied in the, in the future. Um, also, I've seen a trend in wireless networks. So mm -hmm. we had the first uh, standard in uh, 97, where we had uh, data rates of 2 Mbps. And now I'm working on 8.11ax standard, which allows 10 gigabps of throughput. So basically, we have seen an explosion of, of data rates. And this is thanks to new hardware and also algorithms that uh, have been developed throughout the years. Uh, and it's, uh, it's quite surprising to see the standard evolution. So during my undergrad, we had 8.11n, and then we moved to 11ac. And 11ac basically uh, improved the rates by 10 times. Uh, but if we looked from 11ac to ax, we only have 40% of improvement. Uh, and we reached the capacity in terms of physical layer, uh, but what we need to do now is to provide high density. Extreme density environments will require a redesign of wireless networks, both 5G and Wi-Fi. And uh, right now we have been focusing more on resource allocation rather than improving uh, capacity. So the family of 802.11 is IEEE standards. Yes. Are you working with IEEE or are you just doing research and then transferring? So I'm doing research, basically, but recently our team in the labs has been contributing to mm -hmm. the 11AX uh, simulations. So we have both, <laughs> both parts of the team, yes. And you mentioned uh, how it happened in the history. I remember it used to be called peer-to-peer. -peer. <laughs> now the favorite term uh, is edge. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about the edge computing and mm -hmm. edge communications? Mm -hmm. So edge uh, is uh, any device that connects things or people. Uh, and actually, it's not only a connectivity point. It's only a data collection point, mm -hmm. and that's how we view it today. And being a data collection point, it enables uh, many functionalities uh, and many new applications. Uh, so currently, all the data f uh, flow to the cloud, right? So. Edge can reduce this congestion to the cloud by moving some applications on the edge. For example, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning uh, can be applied directly to the edge. So you can pre-process the data, mm -hmm. derive some features for this 
algorithms and either only transmit these features to the cloud, which means less bandwidth and actually more privacy too because you don't actually transmit the real data. Uh, or you can directly run this uh, algorithms on the edge. And this provides load lower latency. Consider an augmented reality application. Basically, if you pre-process the frames uh, of the camera on the edge, uh, you will uh, run the algorithm with much lower latency, avoiding the round trip time back to the cloud. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of this AI machine learning, mm -hmm. deep learning uh, deployed everywhere, up and down the stack, left mm -hmm. and right, yes. north, south, east, west. Sure. So you, you are actively uh, leveraging this opportunity for the mm -hmm. data reduction? And yes, so basically our team in the labs is leveraging these opportunities. Uh, and also AI and, uh, and machine learning um, not only enable new applications, but they also help the edge for connectivity. Mm -hmm. So what we, we are doing right now, for example, is to implement resource allocation algorithms on the edge by using AI and machine learning. Uh, uh, for example, 5G in the future, um, will need this virtualization to enable a seamless experience for different applications, mm -hmm. to give different slots for the driverless car, for the high bandwidth VR application, and this will run on the edge. So the edge is also the backbone for, for the uh, networks that we will be using. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of convergence of technologies. Mm -hmm. Some of the techniques from, like virtualization from uh, computing applied mm -hmm. to networking like NFV, and vice versa, some of the mm -hmm. networking technologies, such as packet switching applied to interconnects in computers. Can you elaborate a little bit on, on this convergence and how mm -hmm. do you see that? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, if, we, if we take as an example the edge, it's not mm -hmm. a single device for connectivity. It's a device that has multiple functionalities right now. And uh, if, we, if we look also our, uh, on our mobile phone, mm -hmm. it's actually a convergence <laughs> device, right? Yeah. Because it has many different uh, functionalities, like camera, GPS receiver, and so on. So uh, the networking devices are similar. Uh, given that they are the source of data, uh, they actually need to have multiple functionalities and this is what we foresee in the future. Um, from machine learning to resource allocation to virtualization uh, to running applications itself, uh, I think this is how we see the edge. Mm -hmm. So we chat a lot about technology, but both you and I are coming from the similar region of mm -hmm. Europe and we both move, so now we call home here. Mm -hmm. How do you see that? How did you uh, cross that boundary mm -hmm. from Balkans to Silicon Valley. Yes. So I started my undergrad in Athens in electrical engineering uh, and I was also working part-time in a telco operator uh, on uh, ADSL troubleshooting. Mm -hmm. uh, and this really developed a passion for networking. So I did my major in networking and then my diploma thesis also in networking and sensor networks. And uh, then I was lucky to have an advisor that motivated me to pursue a PhD. Mm -hmm. So I applied to a couple of places and uh, I ended up in Switzerland where I spent five years for my PhD. Um, Which university? Uh, EPFL in Lausanne. A and this five years uh, process uh, was amazing because it was not only learning new technologies but was also a self-exploration and PhD uh, has its up and downs. Mm -hmm. So I really created uh, strong friendships. So uh, after my PhD, I moved here in the labs. Uh, I was really attracted by the, uh, the technologies that the labs developed, the culture, the smart people that are working here. Um, 
And I think uh, I have three homes. I, I definitely yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, think uh, Greece as my home. My family is there. I love the Mediterranean weather, uh, food. sea, food, yes. Uh, Switzerland is my home. Uh, I always stop by when I'm heading to Greece. Uh, so you fly through Zurich? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Um, so uh, I have uh, very strong friendships there. So it's, it's my second family, basically. And then here it's also home because uh, my life is here. I'm learning a lot of things, both in work and, and uh, in real life. Um, I also like the weather <laughs> in California. Yeah. Uh, so, and I couldn't live somewhere that I wouldn't call it home. So I think, yeah, I th have three homes. <laughs> so far. So far. But you're also a woman in technology. Mm -hmm. And um, th there are different opinions. Some people say that we're actually privileged, that there's a lot of women in technology. We who are insiders, we would like to have many more. So how is it working for you? And what would you change? Mm -hmm. uh, so we definitely need more women and a more diverse environment mm. in general. Uh, so from my experience, um, if you work hard and smart uh, and you're having fun on what you're doing, uh, you will have a lot of opportunities. So as a woman, I wasn't stopped from doing anything. I didn't really uh, find it hard to pursue my career goals. Uh, but I, I was encountered with um, some stereotypes. Uh, starting my career when, uh, uh, when I was in high school and I had the highest grades, society was asking why you don't become a medical doctor <laughs> and you're going to the engineering school and so on. So I think we need to fight stereotypes um, and uh, we need to, uh, to endorse diversity in all environments and in all fields, especially STEM. So do you have any other advice for young women around the world other than to try mm -hmm. to be successful like you? Uh, to have fun in what they're doing and to pursue their dreams. <laughs> and uh, yes, always work hard to achieve their goals. Yeah. And you did work really hard. You, I noticed in internal conference, I'm sure outside, you published a lot of papers. H how do you perceive publishing? Uh, publishing is extremely useful, both for, uh, for the career and the CV, but uh, also it's a learning process. Mm -hmm. So first, you develop a lot of knowledge while writing a paper. Uh, then second, you develop a very uh, good methodology in doing research because you will get feedback uh, mm -hmm. from the community. Third, you get the actual feedback from the community. And uh, our work has been enhanced by uh, what others say and what others comment about. Um, and then it creates also uh, collaboration opportunities. So mm -hmm. either when you go to conferences or when people read your paper, they will contact you. And then uh, it's, it's really good to publish, to, to get these connections. So in terms of collaboration, we as labs, we're somewhere in between products and between academia. Mm -hmm. So you are working with both sides. So how, how does that... Uh, work out for you working with uh, academia? How, mm -hmm. how is it helping you and how is it helping them? Mm -hmm. Sure, so uh, we always need to get feedback from academia, also give feedback to academia because as you said, we, we might have different goals uh, in terms of implementation and development. And in the labs, we always hire interns every summer uh, and it's a very good way to collaborate with universities and um, Basically, we learn from interns, but also interns learn uh, from us. A and it's a teamwork on, uh, on a project with their advisor and so on. So the collaboration is really successful when, when the advisor is also part of the project and he supports or she supports um, the project itself.
Mm. So, Christina, you published a lot in traditional publications, mm -hmm. but you told me that you're also publishing patents. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to me benefits and, and challenges of both approaches? Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, so I do find that patents are important, and especially in a company, it can create a differentiation in the future. So for me, uh, publishing and patents are, are not orthogonal. We always submit a patent when we publish a paper. Um, and uh, there are different challenges. Uh, papers uh, get reviews from a, a peer committee, uh, and it's usually the process is much faster. Patents, of course, uh, have uh, a long delay. It can take many years uh, to get your patent uh, granted. Uh, but you don't get feedback. So this is where publishing becomes important because you get feedback on, on, uh, on your idea and algorithm and on the actual implementation. So patent usually is just a description and not the actual implementation and results. Actually, it's good that you don't get feedback. You get feedback <laughs> on patent if they reject it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Christina, you mm. are working in, in Hewlett-Packard Labs. Mm -hmm. There aren't that many labs around the world. This is one of the few remaining. What do you see as a, a distinct point and the benefit of working here? And why do you think there aren't that many labs around the world of this kind? Mm -hmm. um, so, it is really fun working at HP Labs. Uh, first, you can feel the culture that Bill and Dave create mm -hmm. up to date. Uh, so, that's really nice. Uh, second, you you work on uh, next generation technologies, and that's quite exciting because you get to work on things someone no one else has has mm -hmm. been working on. And third, you can have an impact on the research, so you can see potentially the algorithm you developed into a product, and mm -hmm. it can be used by millions of users, for example, Wi-Fi devices uh, or so on. Uh, so that's exciting. Uh, that's why I joined the labs. And in addition, there are a lot of smart people. Uh, so I work with uh, very smart people every day, and uh, I constantly learn from them. Uh, and vice versa. Yes. <laughs> sure, yes. Um, and uh, concerning the, the number of labs around, around the world, in networking, there are not many. It's true. There are only uh, a couple. Um, I think it's uh, it's a question of funding and how companies work nowadays. There is still research within the companies, but uh, they are not concentrated in a lab. So there are different models uh, in other companies, and uh, research is is done by individual groups or teams uh, here and there. So it depends on the on the model and uh, the funding. So usually um, labs are not funded by, by BUs, but some other companies, for example, mm -hmm. have research funded by BUs. So it depends how uh, research is focused and if it's f uh, focused on a specific product or uh, if it has more flexibility and freedom, which is basically the labs and, uh, and other labs in the world. Okay, well, thank you very much for thank sharing you. all your insights. Thank you very much.